Let's pray together. Good morning, Lord. We thank you so much for the rain. We thank you for bringing us here safely, and we ask for safe returns to our homes. We thank you for giving us enough wisdom to seek you, as the wise men did. We ask for your blessing upon the reading of this word and the hearing of a sermon. In your name we pray. Amen. The visit of the wise men. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, excuse me, then, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted, comforted because they are no more. This is the word of the Lord. Merry Christmas. Good, uh, good to see you all and to be with you on the Lord's Day again. Again, uh, a Lord's Day where I can see the rain just pouring down uh, out the window over there. Thank you, God, for the rain. On Sundays, of course, we are primarily focusing on honoring the Lord and, and worshiping Jesus, but there are occasions where we identify others and, and honor them. And one of the things the Lord has blessed our little church family with 
are some very, very uh, senior saints. And today is uh, Beverly, Beverly's 94th birthday. And and the amazing thing is that we've got others that are older than Beverly in our church congregation. So you're just kind of a young one uh, here uh, today, 94. Um, How many of us... How many of us uh, would like to be uh, attending church uh, each Sunday at age 94 and processing the things and seeking the Lord Jesus? Uh, I pray that that's where I am at 94, that I'm a part of a church family and, um, and getting out and getting with God's people uh, each Sunday. I got out uh, this week, something that I do uh, have done many, many times, uh, gone to a, a restaurant to eat with Christians, uh, friends, did that just a few days ago, but there was something different about this uh, gathering uh, at Sweet Peas um, uh, for lunch uh, just uh, Thursday. I was asked to bring hymnals, and I have to confess to you, uh, my first thought was, we're going to be singing in an open restaurant with a bunch of other people. I was a little bit like, I'm not sure that this is a cool thing. And I, you know, and I think the only reason I got invited, I was the only one that could carry like 20 hymnals <laughs> into the uh, restaurant. And so I'm carrying this uh, very heavy uh, bag. But I, I want to say that it was uh, a place for me, a situation for me to learn about being bold. And in this restaurant where there were dozens of other people, it looks like we're in a room on our own, but uh, you can't see out of view there on the right, this wall is just entirely open. And so we're singing Christmas carols, and then everyone kind of got on a roll, and so we're singing other hymns, and we're just singing in this restaurant. And at one point, uh, somebody pops up on the other side of the wall. And I actually recognized this person, a believer from another congregation. She was just smiling uh, ear to ear uh, that the, the praises of Jesus were filling sweet peas uh, at lunchtime on, on Thursday. So I, it, was, it was a learning experience for me. Uh, I'm on my way and, and living out Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. This is really good, and I'm glad that I got invited to lunch uh, on Sunday. Well, we are uh, journeying through the season of Advent. Uh, We began uh, in Haggai last week into Matthew. We're in Matthew today, in Matthew next week. One final Advent sermon on Christmas Eve. And one of the things that that we would know about Matthew if we were doing a whole series through the gospel of Matthew is that it is the most Jewish of the gospels. There are many, many citations of the Old Testament and fulfillment of prophecies in Matthew's gospel. There are all kinds of details, Jewish details in Matthew's gospel that other gospel writers uh, do not have. And yet, Matthew's gospel, 
however Jewish many of Matthew's emphases are, his main target is to show Christianity as much more comprehensive than Judaism. So we have this massively Jewish gospel, but he has in all of these Jewish details, but his emphasis is to show that Christianity, that the gospel is not just for Israel, but it is for the nations, it is for the world, it is for every people group. And this emphasis shows up in today's passage, right at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, let's begin today looking at verses 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born, King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, or we saw it when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Right at the beginning of the gospel, we have a message here that the gospel The good news of Jesus is for outsiders. These these magi or wise men, or through the centuries of, of church history, we've come to call them kings, whatever we want to call them. The first people who are looking for the Messiah, who are coming to worship Jesus in Matthew's gospel, the first people are foreigners. They are from the east, perhaps from... Arabia or Persia or someplace, and to contextualize it for today, these, these guys are from Iraq or Afghanistan or some pagan place, Yemen. They're from some pagan place that we would not expect worshipers of Jesus to come from. But they are coming. And we are told that they are coming during the time of King Herod. And, and King Herod, when we read that, we need to ask uh, which uh, King Herod. Herod is a title. There were many uh, King Herods. And so the King Herod that we're uh, talking about here is a guy known as Herod the Great. He looks kind of great in this, uh, this uh, image here. And Herod the Great was known uh, for a couple things. Uh, he was known for building projects. He built lots of big, fancy, amazing buildings. And he got these projects done. He got them funded. He got them built. We might say he's kind of like Donald Trump, um, Herod the Great, just in the building part. Okay, I don't want to get in trouble here. Certainly, uh, I should just stop talking, right? I just shouldn't even, I just shouldn't have even said that, probably. He's like Trump in building alone. He built great things. But the other thing that Herod the Great is known for is he was a wicked man. He was a murdering man. He was a a well-known murderer. And this guy, uh, Macrobius, who lives way after five centuries later, um, who collected all kinds of ancient writings, Macrobius did, And he collected this ancient saying that's well known about Herod. That that, uh, someone in Herod's day would have said, I I would rather have been Herod's pig 
than his son. And the word a pig, uh, this guy wrote in Latin, but this is going back to Greek. And the, and the word for uh, pig in Greek is hus, and son is huios. So there's a, there's a, a, a play uh, on words here that, that's going on. I would rather have been Herod's pig because Jews don't kill pigs. He was the king of the Jews, appointed by the Roman Senate. He's living in that culture. So he didn't kill pigs. That wasn't a cool thing to do. But he killed his own sons, Herod did. He killed several of his sons. He killed several of his wives because he was paranoid. He wanted to stay in power. He didn't want to be assassinated. And he saw assassins all over the place. And so Matthew is giving us the context here. After Jesus was born, during the reign of this guy, Herod, these unexpected people, kind of new agey astrologers from some far eastern land, they have come and they are asking, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. We have come to worship him. Matthew's sending a strong theological point here at the beginning of his gospel. He's wanting us to see that sometimes those furthest from the gospel come to love Jesus. Those furthest geographically, those furthest spiritually, those furthest culturally from the gospel, those are the ones that sometimes come to love Jesus. And at the end of the gospel, the church is sent on a mission to to go to the nations, to go to all of these peoples. One of the things that we should take from this passage today in our own lives is that we would ask God for the faith to believe those people that we know, those neighbors that we know, those co-workers that we know, those classmates that we know that seem furthest from the gospel, that Christ desires for them to come to him and to use us to bring them. The most Jewish of the gospel is showing that this gospel is for everyone those furthest from the culture of Christianity, those furthest from the culture of the gospel. I've spoken about this, um, this woman before. Some of you probably weren't here. It was months ago. So for those of you that don't know who she is, uh, Rosaria Butterfield, uh, she was far from the gospel culturally. She is a liberal professor at Syracuse University. She is a lesbian. She is a leader in all of the kinds of things that Christians don't even want to get near. And a grandpa and a grandma, a pastor and his wife, invite this college professor, this lesbian, to dinner. She is far from the culture. But they are believing that Jesus has died not just for church folk, but for everyone. And our mission is to reach them with the gospel. So they invite her to dinner and they love her and they love her and they establish a relationship with her. And it's just an amazing story. I encourage you to to read her, her story. She tells it and she's just come out with another book, but she tells it in this little book, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, an English Professor's Journey into Christian Faith. She comes to know the Lord. She not only comes to know the Lord, but she is 
very quickly on a mission of, of, of making disciples and doing it through writing and doing it through speaking and, and doing it in a variety of ways. Someone far from the gospel. I want to share with you just one thing that she wrote uh, in this book. I love this. She not only shares her story, but she's exhorting and, and challenging the church. This recently liberal, lesbian, leftist, far from the gospel person. She writes this. She says, sin is not a mistake. A mistake is taking the wrong exit on the highway. A sin is treason against a holy God. A mistake is a logical misstep. Sin lurks in our heart and grabs us by the throat to do its bidding. Remember what God said to Cain about his sin. It's true for us too. In the fourth chapter of Genesis, God warns Cain like this. Sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. She writes, in accepting misrepresentations of the gospel that render sin anything less than this, you will never learn of the fruit of repentance. Here's someone far from the gospel, far from the culture of the church that the Lord has brought near. I'm praying increasingly that we would be a church that would, that would be praying for people and inviting them to our dinner tables and loving them and seeing the Lord grab a hold of them as the Lord did with the Magi, with these strange astrologers, new agey kind of people who've come from the East. And Matthew has recorded it from us, for us. Sometimes those furthest from the gospel come to love Jesus. Let's come back to the text here, verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When King Herod heard these guys have come to worship this Messiah, he is disturbed. Now, Herod knows that the Jews are awaiting the Messiah. He, he knows this is part of the Old Testament teaching. He knows that the Messiah is to come. And this is the worst news for him because he's a paranoid guy who thinks people are out to get me, who are going to assassinate me. I want to stay in power. And so when he heard this, he was disturbed. Verse 3 says, and all Jerusalem with him. So you know what happens if a megalomaniac dictator is disturbed? The people are disturbed. Because people are going to die. People are going to die when Herod gets disturbed. So all Jerusalem is disturbed because they know he's disturbed. The word travels fast. When King Herod heard this, he's disturbed all Jerusalem with him. Verse 4, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. Where is this going to happen? Verse 5, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So he calls together the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the, the, the pastors, if you will, of the day. He calls together the guys with Bible knowledge. Where is he going to be born? And they cite Micah 5.2 and 2 Samuel 5. 
He's going to come from Bethlehem. Verse 7, Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Here he is in verse 7. He's already plotting. He's trying to determine an age of this Messiah King, of this baby, because I've got to take him out. You know you're paranoid. I've got to take the baby out like he's going to start ruling next week. So he calls the Magi secretly. What's the exact time? Verse 8. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go, make a careful search for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. He's a liar. He's a murderer. He's a liar. He's crazy. He's disturbed. But I think he was a deceptively good liar. I think they may believe, I think they do believe, that he wants to worship this king, this baby king who is being born, who has been written about hundreds of years previously. So he says, come to me right away. Let's read uh, through here the the beginning of verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. They went on their way. These magi, these, these wise men, they go. There's something that we need to see here that's, that's absent from this section. It's not explicitly here, but it is yelling out from this text. What is yelling to us from this text is that the pastors, if you will, the Bible knowledge people are all gathered and they know where he's going to be born. This Messiah, this long-awaited Messiah who's going to deliver us, we know where he's going to come. And strangers from the distant land come, we tell you where he's going to be born, but they don't go to worship him. They don't go. The religious leaders, the people that know the prophecies, that have read the Old Testament, who are longing for the Messiah and praying for him to come. Where, back in verse 4, where is the Christ? Where is the Messiah? We could translate that. This isn't Jesus' personal proper name yet. Where is the Messiah to be born? They know, the Bible people know, but they don't go there. So sometimes those closest to the gospel, those closest to Bible knowledge, do not come to love, do not come to worship Jesus. We've all seen this. I'm praying that it's not any of us here today that we would be around the church, that we would be around the Scriptures, that we would know all of the answers to the Bible questions. Where is He going to be born? We know. We've heard the stories. But do we love Jesus? Do we want to be worshiping Him? Do we want to make the trip to Bethlehem? These guys probably traveled, the Magi, the wise men, they probably traveled for months 
We don't know how many there are. We, we refer to them in our songs as three. We don't really know. It, it doesn't matter. There's probably a, a large group of them that traveled a long time. Would we join them? Would we go with them? Nobody goes with them here. One commentator writes this, it is truly an instance of base sluggishness that not one of the Jews offers himself as an escort to those foreigners to go and see the king who had been promised to their own nation. I'm learning how to be bold in worshiping Jesus. It's interesting that I was reluctant to go and sing songs in a restaurant this week. How many of us would have traveled to Bethlehem to worship the Messiah who has come? We need to be prayerful that God would give us grace to seek Him out, to worship Him, and to love Him. Let's pick it up in the middle of verse 9. Let me start again at verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. In the star they had seen, the NIV 1984 that I'm reading from, and the star they had seen in the east, it's better translated as the uh, footnote has here in my NIV translation, um, they went on their way, and the star they, the star when it rose. This is interesting here. I don't want to bore you with Greek grammar, but this exact same word up in verse one, the Magi from the east. It's exact same word used in verse two. We saw his star. So the NIV 1984 translates it in the east, but it's a different construction here. And so what this second reference in verse 2 and what this reference in verse 9 is referring to is that when it rose, when it, when it came up, when we saw it, when we followed it, one of them has an article, one of them doesn't, one of them singular, one of it's plural. And so they're used in different ways. So it should be translated differently. The, the NIV 2011 has corrected that. But most of your translations probably have it, have it right. After we had heard the king, they went on their way, verse 9, and the star, and they went on their way, and the star, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So, what was a star? So, I was surprised this week as I'm reading through the commentaries. I always read through several commentaries before I preach a message. I try to read through commentaries from different centuries if possible guys from today and guys from centuries ago. It was amazing to me how much discussion there was about what this star was. Okay? Don't take notes on this. Okay? Don't take notes on this. Those of you that are note takers, I'm not a note taker. Some of you are really serious note takers. Don't take notes on this. Uh, four, here, here's four things of what the star could have been. Kepler, who died in 1630, pointed out that in the Roman year, 7 BC, there occurred a conjunction of the planets Jupiter and Saturn in the zodiacal constellation of Pisces, a sign that sometimes connected, that, that a sign sometimes connected in ancient astrology with the Hebrews. So answer number one is this star is Jupiter and Saturn coming together, okay? I'm not taking a vote here. Number two, it was a supernova. 
a faint star that violently explodes and gives off enormous amounts of light for a few weeks or months. Number three, uh, others have suggested comets. What some older writers refer to as variable stars, the most likely is Halley's Comet, which passed overhead in, in 12 B.C. Number four, it was a number of planetary conjunctions and massings in three or two B.C. So what, where, am I, where am I going with this? Why, why am I talking about this? We, Bible people, have an amazing ability to spend our time on the non-essentials of Scripture to the neglect of the core things of the Bible. Anyone who has been a pastor more than a, a year has been handed tapes and books and pamphlets of the latest and greatest non-essential, crazy interpretation. If you read Esther in Hebrew and take the first letter of each of the words, there's a numerology that's connected with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. And he has just signed a deal that matches with Revelation chapter 74. <clears throat> and it, pastor, you've got to see this. I told you not to take notes on this part. I forgot to tell you not to amen this part. So, so, sometimes those closest to the gospel love non-essentials at the expense of the essentials. We ought not to be experts in the nuances of whether the rapture happens before the seven-year tribulation, in the middle of the seven-year tribulation, at the end of the seven-year tribulation, where there is no rapture. We ought not to be experts in that if we have not found a certain level of proficiency in living out the simple truths of the gospel. So, I, we could preach a whole series on this, but let me just, a couple minutes here for essentials. For essentials. They come to Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? We love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And that you love your neighbor as yourself. We ought not to be experts in the star and whether it was a supernova or whether it was Saturn and Jupiter. And, and let me show you, Pastor, the BC. Let me show you the time framework. I know you haven't done your astrological homework, your astronomy, whatever. Let us not be experts in that. Let us be experts in saying, Lord Jesus, help me to love you and help me to love my neighbor. And let's start perhaps with our neighbors. Do your neighbors know that you love them? If I 
if, if we sent the elders to interview all of your neighbors, hey, tell me about so-and-so goes to our church. What would they say? Oh, I, last time I was over there, he was telling me about this supernova. <laughs> Brilliant insights to Matthew 2. Would they say, you know, he, he mows our lawn, he, she brings us food. They invite us for meals all the time. We've never gone, but they, they've invited us. They, they seem like the nicest people on the street. wonder why that is. Loving God, loving neighbor, loving our neighbors, living out the gospel. Living out the gospel. Are we quicker as we grow in the Lord Jesus to forgive others? Are we, are we eager to forgive as Christ was eager to forgive us while we're still sinners? Are we, are we growing in these themes of the gospel, these essential things? Are we living repentantly? Are we showing grace to others? Are we spreading the gospel? It is no mistake that the Lord Himself has spread the gospel to these wise men. That the Messiah has come. Come and worship Him. This is at the beginning, and go and make disciples is at the end of this gospel. Are we spreading it? Is it even a thought that we might have a lesbian college professor to our home for dinner over and over and over? Or the equivalent in your world? Are we making disciples the commission that Jesus has given us at the end of this? Sometimes those closest to the gospel love non-essentials at the expense of the essentials. I've been there. I've seen it. I've gotten into it. Lord, help us not to be a church that, that does that. Help us not to be people that do that. Last couple verses for today, 10, and tw- 10 through 12. Verse 10, when they, the Magi, when they, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. This star was something supernaturally guided by God. It took them to the house. Some time has elapsed. We don't know how long this isn't immediately after the birth. It's maybe a year, two later, months later. We don't know for sure. But they are overjoyed. This is what worship looks like. They're overjoyed. We've made the journey. They see the child, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the second person of the Godhead who has become a baby a child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures. They presented him with gifts of gold and of incense, or gold and frankincense and myrrh. They worshipped him the best they knew how. Costly gifts. Having been warned, verse 12, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Sometimes those who were once furthest from the gospel, 
furthest from the Bible, furthest from the culture of God's people, they come to worship Christ with sacrificial gifts. This, this, is, this is how we want to live. We want to be people. All of us, if we understand the gospel, we know that we were once far from it, even if we grew up in a Christian home. We, we were rebels the way that, the way that Rosaria described it earlier. We, we, we didn't just make mistakes. We were rebels against God in our sin. We were far, every one of us. But we've come to a place, and my prayer for us this Christmas season is that we've come to a place that we are worshiping Jesus with sacrificial gifts. With sacrificial gifts. What does that look like? Well, we're going to have a 12-week sermon on the details of gold and frankincense and myrrh. No, 12-week series, no. What does it look like for us to bring sacrificial gifts to the Lord Jesus this Christmas season and year-round? What is He looking for from us? What, what should we open uh, our treasure boxes and give? It? What, what's the equivalent of that, contextualizing that? What the Magi did, how do, how do we do that? And I want to suggest that this Christmas season, what he is looking for from us is, is not gold, frankincense, or myrrh, but he's looking for fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. May we open our treasure boxes this Christmas season and by God's grace, give Him the fruit of the Spirit. Against such things, there is no law. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father in heaven, We pray that you would help us to be people who are characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Lord, we thank you for your heart. Your heart of compassion and mercy, not exclusively for the Jews, but for the whole world, even those far away. Lord, you've entrusted your church with this gospel and you've given us a mission to take it to others. Help us to focus on what is essential this Christmas season, to love you, to love our neighbors, to make disciples. And there are other things, Lord, that are essential. Help us to focus on those. Free us from bickering and details and and things that would take us away from demonstrating and offering to you this fruit of the Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. These wise men came and worshipped Jesus. Let's do the same. Would you like to stand? Splendor of the King 
clothed in majesty. Let all the earth rejoice. Let all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light. And darkness tries to hide. And trembles at his voice. Trembles at his voice. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. Oh, see how great, how great. 